The following audio is from West Pines Community Church. For more information about West Pines, visit us online at westpines.org. You can join us live Sunday mornings at 9, 1030, or 12 in Pembroke Pines, Florida, or online at westpines.org. I am really excited this morning to introduce our guest speaker to you. Uh, this summer, we've been doing a series called Hello Summer, where we're talking about the fruits of the Spirit, and we're taking a quick break on that today uh, to have a guest speaker. Now, John Ellswick, Pastor John, is our guest speaker today, and a lot of you may not know him, but John was on staff at West Pines for a while, and John was here. He was in charge of all of our worship and doing a lot of administration, and in 2009, he felt God's call to plant a church in South Florida. And as praying with them and talking with them, West Pines, along with a couple other churches here in 2010, sent John and 30 leaders from West Pines to go plant Crossway Church in Davie. And John is still serving there. He's the lead pastor and teaching pastor at Crossway. He's doing a phenomenal work. In many ways, Crossway, under John's leadership, has, has kind of gone before us and has started a lot of partnerships with churches in South Florida. And now we're benefiting from things like Church United. They kind of pioneered some of those relationships. And we love hearing from John and seeing what our sister church, Crossway, is doing as we partner together to transform South Florida in our generation with the gospel of Jesus. But I want to tell you about John. I want to introduce you to him. I know you're going to love hearing him. He's a good friend of mine. Several of us on staff here go to John for advice and bounce things off him. He's a dynamic leader, and he's also a very fast talker, so buckle up. Uh, But recently, John just finished a doctorate at Capitol Seminary. Uh, so, Church, will you help me welcome Dr. John Ellswick? You said I'm a fast talker. It's, I'm half Cuban. I can't help it. It's just the way it is. Hey, how are you doing, West Pines? Uh, it's so good to be here with you. Uh, as a, a pastor of a church plant from this church, uh, I feel like when I'm coming here, I'm visiting the mothership, all right? So, welcome to the mothership. I, uh, I joke around with Roby, since he's the lead pastor of our mother church, West Pines. I said, since you are the lead pastor of our mother church, maybe I should just call you mom. So, every now and then, I just call Roby uh, mom. Hey, um, I am blessed to be able to see what's going on at West Pines from the outside, see all the good things that God is doing. And I feel particularly blessed because when I was here, it was a long time ago, before you had three services in this building, before you were even in the building. And I'm just kind of curious by show of hands, how many of you, is there anybody here in this service who was there back in the Pines Charter High School days? Do we have any of the OGs or the original ones? All right, good to be here with you. If you weren't here and you don't know me, Um, uh, Just a little bit about myself. I think we have a picture of my family. I've been married to my wife, Melissa, for it'll be 16 years in August. Yes, she put up with me for that long. I've got two amazing boys. We have the privilege of being adoptive parents. My oldest son, Ethan, is uh, going to third grade this year. My youngest son, Josh, is going into kindergarten. It's really blessed to be able to do that and blessed to be able to partner with West Pines uh, through Crossway Church. I want to just give, give a little word of encouragement. Some of you guys already know this, so I'm going to say something that you already know, and it's this. You have been gifted by God with an incredible staff and pastoral team here. Do you guys realize that? You have really been gifted by God, incredible staff and pastoral team. Uh, and I just want to encourage you from like an outside pastor to you, as Pastor Roby and Rebecca come back from uh, sabbatical in a little bit, I want to challenge you to take a minute and let them know how much of an impact they've made on your lives. It's something so helpful 
as a lead pastor and his wife, when you're like kind of doing the grind of ministry, to be able to hear the stories of what God is doing. I just want to encourage you uh, to do that as they come back. Hey, can we do this? Can we stand together? And what I want us to do this morning is we're going to read aloud together a portion of Scripture that's going to set the context for what we'll be studying this morning. It's about seven verses, so don't get tired, but we'll get through it. It'll provide some context. At the end of that, we're going to make this declaration together. We're going to say this is the word of the Lord, and then we'll spend a time in prayer. So if you go ahead and put that uh, scripture on the screen, Luke chapter 2, verse 25 to 32, let's read it. It says this, now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. When the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles, and the glory of your people Israel. This is the word of the Lord. Can we place our palms up like this as we pray for just a moment? Father, right now we place our palms up, which is sort of a physical acknowledgement of our need for you. It's a physical acknowledgement that we are here to receive from you and from your spirit. And so what I ask right now is that as we study your word, as we think about what you've done, as we consider how we can follow you into greater maturity as disciples of Jesus, would you pour out your spirit on us in great measure? Would you open our eyes to see the goodness and beauty of Jesus? And would you meet us today and use us to saturate South Florida with the name and fame of Jesus Christ? We ask this in his beautiful name. And everyone together said, amen. amen. You can be seated. I'll begin this morning with a question, maybe a show of hands. How many of you in this room right now absolutely love to wait? I just see those hands. How many of you love to wait? So you, you have an appointment at the doctor at 9 a.m. You don't get seen until 2 p.m. You walk out of there like, what a way to spend my day. Wasn't that great? Anybody? You've got a 30-minute commute to the office. Instead of taking 30 minutes, there's, a, there's an accident on I-95, so it takes you an additional 45 minutes. You've been sitting bumper to bumper. Anybody here just, man, i just so happy about being able to sit on I-95 doing nothing for 45 minutes. Anybody here absolutely love to wait? Let me ask a secondary question. Maybe we get a few more hands on this. Is anybody in the room here who really does not like waiting? Anybody here is going to see those hands? Anybody in this room sitting here, maybe at some point in time, someone has called you impatient. Do we have anybody even would be willing to acknowledge that? I think that the truth of the matter is for most of us, almost all of us, I think the waiting thing is not something we like, uh, but, but rather the case is we are very, uh, it's very hard for us at times to wait. And I think there's a couple reasons for that. One is just the way we are wired as human beings, but I think the other reason why it's very difficult is because we live in a culture that shapes us towards impatience. I mean, there's so many things in our cultural moment that we live in right now that we have right away, that just even a few years ago, we had to wait quite a bit for. Let me give you a couple examples. If you came to church this morning, and maybe you took your Sunday morning selfie with your friends, you know, take a picture, hashtag West Vines, you did that whole thing. What is the first thing that you do after you take a picture on your phone? What's the first thing you do? You what? You look at the picture. Did I get my right side? Did I do the duck face correctly? You know, am I smiling? Am I looking? You look at the picture. Now, I don't want to blow some of your minds here. Some of you might be a little younger than me, but there was a time in history 
when you would take a picture with a camera, these were called film cameras, and you would not be able to see what the picture looked like right away. Does anyone remember that moment in history, right? You would take a picture of yourself or some of your friends or whatever, and you would have to wait until you took all of the pictures in that roll of film. And then once you took all the pictures in that roll of film, you had to wait until you could drop it off at Walgreens. And then after you dropped it off at Walgreens, you had to wait until it was processed. And even when it was processed, you had to wait to go back to the store again. And if you saw a picture that you absolutely loved, and I want to share it with my mom, you couldn't text it to her. You had to what? Wait until you saw her. We don't have to wait for things anymore. If I want to watch a movie with my family, I just go on my Apple TV, I download the movie instantly right away. Again, not to blow anybody's mind, but there used to be this place, this destination we had to go to if we wanted to rent a movie. You'd go to this building, it was blue and yellow. Does anyone remember what it was called? Block, okay, some of you know what I'm talking about. And you'd go to Blockbuster, you have to wait till you got to Blockbuster, then you had to wait till you could find where the, the movie was, which aisle it was on, and if it was a new release, it was very possible someone had already got all, rented all of them out, and you had to wait until they turned them back again. We live in a culture, those are, the, those are really difficult days. We live, in a, we live in a culture where we don't have to wait for anything. Our culture shapes us towards impatience. Now, some of you might say, well, that's great with me, man. I'm fine with that. I'd rather not have to wait. But here's the thing about waiting. If you and if I and if we are going to grow towards maturity in our lives, we have to learn how to wait well. Just think about this. If you're a teenager in this room and you want to grow to maturity as a young adult and an adult, you have to learn how to wait well, right? You, you can't just have everything right away. You have to learn to delay gratification. There's a sense of waiting well. If you're a parent in the room and you want to grow to maturity as a parent, you have to learn how to wait well. Like the, the things you institute in the life of your children while they're young, you have to wait before they're going to bear fruit. In all aspects of our life, if we're going to grow to maturity, we have to learn how to wait well. And this is true in the spiritual life. If you and I are going to grow as mature disciples of Jesus Christ. We have to grow to learn how to wait well. And that's what I want to talk about this morning. I want to talk about the story of a man in this passage of Scripture that had a season of waiting. I want to kind of see if anybody in this room has had their own seasons of waiting. And then we're going to talk about the tension that happens when we're in a waiting season. And then two thoughts, what it means to wait well, so we'll take a look. Luke chapter 2, verse 22. We'll jump in. It says this. When the time came for the purification rites required by the law of Moses, Joseph and Mary took him, this is Jesus, to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord. And to offer a sacrifice in keeping with what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of doves or two young pigeons. Here's what's going on. Jesus was born in Bethlehem. Forty days later, Joseph and Mary take their newborn Jesus, he's about 40 days old, and they take him from Bethlehem and they head over to the temple in Jerusalem. The reason why they're there is twofold. One is that when a woman gave birth to a child, she was considered ceremonially unclean. And so she would have to go to the temple to present a sacrifice to the temple to become ceremonially clean again. The second reason they're there is because Jesus is their firstborn son. And so you would take your firstborn son to the temple, present him to the Lord, and consecrate him to the Lord and say, God, this son I'm giving to you. Now, when they get to the temple in Jerusalem, they meet a man. And I want to spend our time kind of focusing on the story of the guy that they meet. And let's take a look at what it says next. Now, there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel and the, can you read the, the bolded section there, and the what? And the Holy Spirit was on him. We'll get to that in a minute. It says this in the next verse, it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before what? Let's read, he had seen the Lord's Messiah. 
So Luke starts telling us about this man named Simeon, and he says a couple interesting things about him. The first thing he says is that the Holy Spirit was on him. So that's a unique thing to say about someone pre-Pentecost. I mean, it says it about some people, but that wasn't something that you would use a lot to describe someone before the Holy Spirit came in Acts chapter 2. And so what Luke is trying to get our attention about here is he's saying, hey, this guy Simeon, man, he is a guy whose life is surrendered to the Lord. This guy Simeon, this is a guy who God's hand is on him. The Holy Spirit is on him. So much so that the Holy Spirit tells Simeon, I'm going to do something really amazing to you. You will not die before you have seen the Lord's what? Does anyone remember? Messiah. Now, what does it mean, you will not die before you've seen the Lord's Messiah? What's Messiah? Well, when you read the Hebrew Scriptures, the Old Testament, one of the things that you find is all throughout the Scriptures, God is promising and He's saying, listen, I'm going to send a king. I'm going to send a deliverer. I'm going to send someone who's going to come and deliver God's people out of their sin, going to deliver them into a season of flourishing. I'm going to send you your true and eternal king. This is the Messiah. And right around Jesus' time period, the time period in which he was born, there's quite a bit of what you could call messianic expectation. Israel was under the thumb of the Roman Empire, and people were wondering, when is God going to send the Messiah? When is God going to send the Messiah? And God says to Simeon, he taps him on the shoulder, essentially, and the Holy Spirit says to him, listen, Simeon, I know everybody is waiting for the Messiah, but I want to tell you something. I'm giving you a promise. You will not die before you see the Messiah. Now, with this in mind, Luke, in the second part of verse 25, describes Simeon with these three words that I want you to notice. He says this. He says, he was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was on him. He was waiting. Can you say those three words out loud with me? He was waiting. What does it mean that he was waiting for the consolation of Israel, for the Messiah to come? It doesn't mean that Simeon, after he heard the Holy Spirit say, you know, you're going to see the Messiah before you die. It doesn't mean that Simeon went in a cave somewhere and was like, all right, God, I'm just going to sit here and do nothing until you provide for me what you've told me you're going to give me. That's not what it means he was waiting. But it says that he was waiting. What he's essentially saying is that he went about his everyday business. He, he worshipped. He prayed. He spent time with people. He feasted. He went to weddings. He worked. He did all of the things you would do in normal everyday life. But what Luke is trying to get at here is he's saying that underneath the surface, as Simeon was doing all of these normal everyday things, underneath the surface, there was this longing in his heart. There was this expectation in his heart. There was this looking in his heart where he's saying, God, is it today? God, is it today? God, is it today that you're going to send me the promise that you've given me? Is it today that I will meet the Messiah? He was waiting. Now, let me ask you a question in your own life. Have you ever been in a waiting season? Have you ever been in a season of your life where you're going about your daily business, you're going about your daily life, but underneath the surface, those who really knew you and really knew what was happening in your heart might have said about you during that season, she was waiting or he was waiting. Now, what does it mean to be waiting? Here's what I mean by, have you ever been in a waiting season? Waiting is this. Waiting is when there is a distance between where you are and where you want to be. Like waiting is when there's a distance between where you are and where you want to be. All year long, my, I look forward to my favorite meal of the year. And my favorite meal of the year is Thanksgiving dinner. Can I get an amen? Is anybody with me on that one, right? You've got turkey, 
I got a few claps. Not many people, but those who did, I appreciate it. You got a turkey, mashed potatoes and gravy, corn casserole, green bean casserole, black beans and rice, little yuca. You got some pumpkin pie. You know what I'm talking about, right? It's a little, like you got all that together. Like all year long, I wait for Thanksgiving dinner. It's my favorite meal of the year. And I remember this past Thanksgiving, um, I woke up and I had, we had a breakfast thing at my house, but I didn't eat very much in breakfast because I was saving room right, for Thanksgiving dinner at my mom's house. And so my family goes, we bring some sides, my sister's family goes, and my parents are there. Now, as I walked into the house on Thanksgiving dinner, I'm just to be straight up honest with you, I didn't want to talk to anybody. I didn't want to do the perfunctory greeting, hello, how are you, how are you doing? Yeah. I wanted to walk right past everybody, sit down at the table, and begin eating the meal. Now, unfortunately, as a pastor, I'm unable to do those sorts of things. I have to walk in, bless you, my child, and it is good to see. I have to do the greeting. And so there I was, did my, like, greetings, and I get to the kitchen dining room area, and I can smell the food. My stomach is growling. I've been waiting all year long for this meal, and as I walk in, I notice that it's not fully done. The place settings haven't been fully put out. The food isn't completely ready. And in that moment, I had to what? I had to wait. I know you're thinking, first world problems, John. Okay, like I get First of all, I had to wait. And what there was in this waiting was there was a distance between where I was and where I wanted to be. Because I was over here outside of the kitchen. Where I wanted to be was right there where the turkey was, right? I wanted to be right there where the food was. I could smell it. I could almost touch it. I could almost taste it. But there was this distance between where I was and where I wanted to be. Now, whenever there's a distance between where you are and where you want to be, what it creates inside of us is tension, right? It creates this sense of, oh, can we just, and how long is this tension inside of our souls? Have you ever felt that tension? Are you in a waiting season right now? Is there something that you look at and say, that's where I want to be in this area of my life, but I'm not there, and so you feel the tension. Maybe you're single, and you want to be married. Now, not every single person wants to be married, but maybe you do. And you've been waiting for someone who loves Jesus because you love Jesus and you want to be connected to somebody like that. And you're just waiting and waiting. You can almost see it. You can almost taste it. You can almost touch what marriage would be like. Man, I just wish I could. But there's this distance between where you are and where you want to be. And you feel the tension. Or maybe you're here this morning and you have adult children. Maybe even children that grew up around the church and grew up around God. But for whatever reason, one of your children has gone wayward. And, and, and there's, there's some, some brokenness in your relationship with them, and there's some dissonance there. And, and, and you're waiting, right, because you can see where you want to be. You want to have a flourishing relationship with that child. You want them to be following Jesus, but here's where you are, and there's where you want to be, and there's distance, and you feel the tension. Maybe you're here, and you're dealing with a health issue, maybe a chronic health issue. And you see it, like you can tell, like, now this is where I want to be. I want to be healed, but there's distance between where you are and where you want to be. Or maybe you're here and you're married and you want to have a child. You've been trying, and it hasn't happened yet. And you can see, like, what it would be. Man, we want to start that family, but there's a distance between where you are and where you want to be, and you feel the tension. Has anybody ever felt the tension of the distance between where you are and where you want to be? Earlier this year, I felt it pretty acutely. Around March of this year, I was leaving a friend's church that I was preaching at in Boynton Beach, and I was driving home, and I started to feel like some pain in the left side of my, my, my mouth. I thought it was like a, a tooth issue. And that was a Sunday. Monday, it was still there. It was getting worse. Then Tuesday came around, and it was full, fully, like, really, really bad. Couldn't think. I was laying out on the couch in my office, you know, and I was just in complete pain. So finally, I'm able to get to the doctor, and the doctor thinks it's just myofascial muscle spasms. He says, you just need to put a heating pad and take some ibuprofen. You'll be better. Well, I do that, and it doesn't get better, it gets worse. And Thursday, I go to the doctor again, 
and he can't figure out what it is. He gives me another medication, doesn't change anything. Friday night, I look in the mirror, and I see that, like, now there's, like, redness all on the, the side of my face, and it's like pain is not going away. So Saturday morning, I go to the doctor for the third time in six days. And when I walk to the, into this doctor, I'm talking to her, and she says, I know what you have. And I said, what? And she says, you have, you have shingles. I, I didn't think you could have shingles on your face. I thought that was something you'd have on your torso. Whatever. So I said, shingles. And I said, you think I have shingles? She said, I don't think you have shingles. I know you have shingles. You have shingles. And so she gives me shingles medication. I'm thinking, okay, well, this is bad. Now, I don't know if you've ever had shingles, by the way, but it's not something you wish on your worst enemy. It's a really painful deal. So she gives me the medication. Sunday, I'm taking the medication. Sunday, I've been out of work, not preaching. I'm at home, and I'm looking in the mirror. And as I look in the mirror, one of the things I notice, because you're trying to see whether or not the shingles get in your eye, because that can affect your eyesight. So I'm looking in the mirror, and I realize I can't close my left eye. And then I realize I can't move the left side of my mouth. And then I realized I can't lift my left eyebrow. It's perpetually like the rock. You know, do you smell what the rock is cooking, right? Pastor Rock. Anyway, so there, so I, I and we look very similar too, as you can tell. Anyway, uh, <laughs> your laughter hurts me. But there I was. It's supposed to be nice to guest speakers. There I was. I can't move the left side of my face, so I'm starting to panic, and I did in that moment what any good American would do when you have symptoms that you don't know what, what they are, you Google it, right? So I Googled it. The problem with Googling your symptoms is that in the list of things that it possibly could be, like number 13 is imminent death, right? Something, I'm going to die. So as I'm looking through it, I realize that what I have is a thing called Ramsey-Hunt syndrome. And Ramsey-Hunt syndrome is, is uh, started by shingles, and it affects the nerves. And basically, a portion of your face becomes paralyzed, and you can't really move it at all. So I rush to the emergency room. What's going on? They give me the medication for that. I go see the ENT. You know, he tells me, you know, okay, just a few things. And, and then I wait about 10 days. There's been no progress at all. So no progress at all. And as a pastor, by the way, you know, it's bad when you can't use the left side of your face. When you are a pastor and you speak for a living, it's really bad when you can't use the left side of your face. I remember joking with my church. I was like, if you're on this side, I look happy. If you're on this side, I look very angry. You know, pastor two-faced. So there I was, and I'm sitting with the ENT <laughs> 10 days after this has happened. No movement at all. And I have a checklist of questions. Anybody like that when you go see the doctor? I've just got my list. And I said, my wife's there, and I said, well, if I did this, will it get better faster? If I did this, will it get better faster? No. How about this? How about this? I've been good this whole list, and everything's no, 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 no. Finally, the ENT looks me in the eye and says, hey, John, you've got to understand something. With this, uh, some people get better and improve all the way. Some people improve partially, and some people don't improve at all. Uh, but there's nothing you can do to make it better. You've done everything you can do at this point. So now all you can do is wait. I've got to be honest. I left there and all I can do is wait, and it was really, really difficult. I remember during that season, I, picked up, I looked at a picture. I saw a picture. I was looking at my phone of me back in the day when I could actually smile, right? And I'm looking at that picture, and I'm seeing, like, that's where I want to be, right? But here's where I am, and there's this distance between where I want to be and where I am, and it's affecting my preaching, and it's affecting my emotion, and it's affecting my future. Like, man, what is going to happen? And there was all of this tension in between. Does anybody know what that feels like? And here's the thing. When you feel the tension between where, the distance and the tension between where you are and where you want to be, you have to decide what you're going to do with that. Because for some people, what happens in our spiritual immaturity is we end up just throwing our arms up and saying, you know what, God, if you're not going to take me there now, I don't even know if I trust you anymore. You know what, God, if you're not going to get me to where I want to be, I don't even know if you're good anymore. 
You know what, God, if you're not going to take me where I want to be, I don't even know if you care anymore. And sometimes in that moment, we just kind of throw our hands up. And some people literally walk away from God in those moments of waiting. But what I want to say is we must not respond in that way. Instead, we have to grow to maturity. And we have to learn how to wait well. Two thoughts on what it looks like to wait well. Not throwing up our arms at God and saying, where are you? But two thoughts on how to wait well. Here's the first one. is We have to trust God's timing. Can you say that out loud with me? Trust God's timing. As a matter of fact, would you turn to someone next to you, point your finger at them and say, trust God's timing. Just go ahead and do it. Trust God's timing. Some of you guys have been waiting a long time to say that to the person sitting next to you, so you're welcome. You're welcome, right? Trust God's timing. Here's the thing. Um, we, we need to realize your internal clock, right? And the internal clock of others are not always the same. Have you ever noticed that? So there's some of you who, when you get an invitation in the mail and it says the wedding starts at 5 p.m., your internal clock automatically starts computing and it says to you, I must be there at 4.45 p.m. Does anybody like that? Like on time is early, early is on time. You're the one sanctified and filled with the Holy Spirit. The rest of you, I don't know. No, I'm just kidding. I, I'm with you. On time is early. So some of you, you see 5 p.m. and you're like, I got to get there at 4.45. Now, I found this in life, in 38 years of life, that oftentimes people who are wired up like on time is early and early is on time happen to have really good friends and even sometimes spouses who have a very different internal clock. Because there's another group of you here who when you see 5 p.m. that the wedding starts, you take that as a suggestion, you know? <laughs> 5 p.m., 5.30, 5.00, as long as I get there before the vows are done, I made it to the wedding on time. So I know some of you are like that in here, in this room. Now, for people, the first group of people, on time is early and early is on time. To be able to coexist with the second group of people, which is 5 p.m., is a suggestion. It takes mutual understanding. Sometimes many, many years of couples therapy, all sorts of things. It takes us learning that our sense of timing isn't always the same as their sense of timing. This is not just true about you and your spouse or you and your friend or you or that person who's a coworker. It's true about you and God. God's sense of timing and our sense of timing are very often two different things. I don't know about you, but when I pray for something, I want it right away. I want God to do it right now. I want God to fix that right now, provide right now, deliver right now. And very often, God's sense of time is very different than my sense of time. And if you think about Simeon's story, right? When, 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 when the Holy Spirit told Simeon, you will not die before you see the Lord's Messiah. In other words, I'm going to let you meet the Messiah in your lifetime. When do you think Simeon wanted to meet that Messiah? Oh, don't worry, God, 10 years will be fine. 10 years, no. He wanted to see him right now. Like, he wanted to see him right away. God, take me to him. Show me where he is. I'd love to meet him, God. But here's the deal. That didn't happen. Luke describes Simeon's life as saying he was waiting. That was characteristic of his life. We don't know how long he waited, but it seemed quite a bit of time passed as he was waiting for the promise of God. This is the way God has always been with his people. God's sense of timing is very different from our sense of timing. You take it back to Genesis. Genesis 1 and 2, God creates the world. He sets our first parents, Adam and Eve, in the Garden of Eden. He says, everything that you want is yours. Just this one thing I don't want you to do. Don't eat the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So one day Adam and Eve are walking past the tree. Satan takes the form of a serpent. And he says to Eve, hey, what do you think about this? Looks really good, doesn't it? She's like, it does. He says, why don't you try it? So she does. And she says, this does taste good. And she passes it over to Adam, who knows, who knows what he's doing. Like, oh, okay, sounds good. And he eats it. And then God punishes them. They have consequences for that. But God doesn't just punish them. God actually punishes Satan. And I want you to see in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, what God says to Satan 
His punishment, he says this, and I will put enmity, which is division, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. Now notice this, he, this is the offspring of Eve, will crush your head and you will strike his heel. Now theologians call this particular verse the proto-euangelion. The proto-euangelion. You want to say that out loud with me? Let's say it. First service is like, no, but you can try it, right? You're, you're more awake, you know? But let's say it together. Proto-euangelion. Two Greek words. Proto is the Greek prefix for first, and euangelion is the Greek word for gospel or good news. So theologians look at Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, and say this is the first gospel in the scripture. This is the first declaration of the good news in the scripture. Now you say, this is the first, what's the gospel? Here's the story of the gospel. This is the center core of the Christian message, of the Christian faith, and if you hear nothing else, hear this. The message of the gospel is this. There's a God who created you and created me and created all humanity, and he created us for a relationship with him, but we sinned against him like our first parents did, and our sin separates us from relationship with God and merits us punishment because he's a righteous judge. And ultimately, there's nothing we can do in our own ability to get ourselves out of it. And so what we need is rescue. And so God the Father, in his love for us, said, I will send a rescuer, Jesus, his son, to come to the earth and to be our substitute. And so Jesus comes to the earth, and he lives the perfect life that we should have lived. And at the end of his life, God took your sins and my sins off of us, and he placed them on his son, Jesus, and he punished Jesus instead of punishing us. And then he allowed us to go free as we trust in him. That's the, the gospel. Now you say, well, how is this the first gospel? The proto-euangelion. Here's how this is the first gospel. What God is saying to Satan is this. You think you won, didn't you? You think because you tricked him this time, that's the end of the story. He says, Satan, you need to understand something. There's going to come an offspring of Eve. His name is going to be Jesus. He'll be my son. And he's going to live as the substitute for them. And you're going to think you struck him out too because on the cross, you're going to bruise his heel. And he's going to die. But then on the third day, he's going to rise to newness of life. And ultimately, this Jesus is going to defeat you, and he's going to defeat sin, and he's going to defeat death, and he's going to crush your head. In other words, God is saying, I'm going to send a Messiah, a deliverer, and he will be the offspring of Eve. It's the first mention, the pushing forward of the one that God is going to send. Now, I want to ask you a question. Do you think in that moment, as Adam and Eve heard that God is going to send a deliverer, God was going to send someone to crush the head of Satan, when do you think they wanted God to do it? Right away. Okay, let's do this. Genesis 4, come on. Did Jesus come in Genesis 4? No. Did God send Jesus in Genesis 12? No. Did God send Jesus in... Genesis 20, no. Did God send Jesus in Exodus, Leviticus, Deuteronomy, keep going? No, no. Malachi, no. It was thousands of years before God finally fulfilled the promise. Here's my point. His timing is different than yours. Think about the story of Abraham and his wife Sarah. They were unable to conceive and have a child. Abraham was 75 years of age when God promised, you're going to have a son. When do you think Abraham thought God should start getting working on that? He's 75, he's like, oh, okay, God, I'm 75, let's get this ball rolling, right? Let's get this thing. You know how long God waited? 25 years. God, God called Moses to deliver the children of Israel out of Egypt through the Red Sea, and you know that scholars believe it should have taken them 11 days to get from the Red Sea into Canaan. You know that? 11 days. You know how long it took them? 40 years. God took 40 years before he allowed them to go into the promised land. God's timing is different than our timing, and when we understand that, we have to make a choice. And the choice is this, will I rail against the sovereign timing and plan of God, or will I lovingly submit to my Father who knows the best? 
uh, late last year, we went to Disney World as a family, and we have this little tradition. Before we go, you know, we start the, the drive up there, we stop by Chick-fil-A for breakfast, because what's better when you're headed to Disney World to get a little Jesus chicken? You know what I mean? You've got to get your Jesus chicken in before sanctifies the trip. And so there we were, uh, 595 in university, we're driving up, and about five minutes into the drive, my younger son Josh, who was four at the time, asked the question that every child comes pre-programmed to be able to ask when you're on a road trip. Some of you know what the question is. He said, Dad, are we? Okay, you've been there. You know what I'm talking about. So he said, are we there yet? I'm like, son, we are not there. We, just, we are pulling out of the Chick-fil-A drive through okay? <laughs> Five minutes later, he asked the same question. Oh, are, we there? are we there yet? I'm like, no, we're not there yet. Five minutes later, he asked the same question. Oh, are we there? Now, at this point, I need to have a little parental instruction, all right? So I turn off the radio, and I say, son, you need to know a few things. We are not there yet, number one. We haven't even passed Boca Raton, okay? Like, we are not there yet. Uh, and number two, you need to understand that daddy knows how to get to where we're going, or at least Google Maps does, and daddy has Google Maps on his phone, so daddy knows how to get to where we're going. And number three, daddy has a plan, okay? Like, daddy has a plan. We are going to get there at the appointed time, and so I said, Josh, so here's the deal. What you need to do is you need to trust your father that I know you wish we were there right away, but you need to trust that your father is, has a plan, your father loves you, and he's going to get you there when you need to, be, you need to get there. Now, in that moment, my son had two choices, right? One was to say, yes, Father, I trust your wonderful plan for my life. The other is to throw a hissy fit. I will not tell you what he did. I will simply say this to you. I'll simply say this to you. Your father has a plan. Your father loves you. Your father has a destination in mind. Your father's taking you somewhere. And when you begin to realize the difference between your sense of timing and your internal clock and God's, and you realize that he's not on your timetable, you too have a choice to either kick the back of his seat, throw up your hands in the air, complain, and say, I don't, I don't like this, I don't want this, be angry and bitter, or you can submit to the sovereign plan of your loving father and trust not just his timing, but his love for you that he is taking you exactly where you need to be and the exact timing because that's the kind of father that we serve. So number one, we need to trust God's time. And the second thing, and I'll make this brief, is this. In the midst of these tension-filled waiting seasons, I want to encourage you, don't miss the miracle of the moment. Have you ever seen anybody as they're walking down the street or you're walking in the hallways at your work, they're walking, they've got their phone out and they're literally staring at their phone as they're walking. Have you ever seen this happen? I remember there's a viral video a few years back of a girl in the mall. It was like security footage. And she's walking with her phone like this. And there's one of those koi fish kind of ponds in the middle of the... Has anyone ever seen this video? And she's walking and boom, she falls into the koi fish pond. Now, I know I'm not supposed to laugh at that, but I'll be honest. I laughed and so would you. And part of the reason I laughed was I was like, she didn't have to fall into that pond, right? Like it was unnecessary. Why did she fall into the obvious body of water in the middle of the mall? Because she was so fixated on this that she missed what was going on around her. In seasons of waiting, sometimes we can be so fixated on the thing we're asking God to do, so fixated on the thing that hasn't yet happened, so fixated on the tension within the waiting seasons that we're so fixated on this that we miss all the other things that God is doing in our life. 
See, one of the things you need to understand about your waiting season is that while you are waiting, it's not like God is on vacation sipping a pina colada at the beach. While you are waiting, God is working. Can you say that with me? While you are waiting, God is working. In the midst of your waiting, as God is accomplishing his sovereign plan for your life, he's still at work blessing you. He's still at work teaching you. He's still at work providing for you. He's still at work with you. He has not abandoned you. He is right there. The problem is that some of us don't see the ways that God is blessing and providing and working in those seasons because we are so fixated on what he has not given us that we miss all the things that he has given us and wants to give us. So I want to say this morning, some of us need to lift our heads, start looking around and asking questions like this in our waiting. I know, God, you haven't brought this yet. But God, what can I praise you for this morning? And God, I know you haven't brought this yet. Man, God, I really, really am asking that you bring this and you close the gap. And this waiting season is tough. But God, what have you taught me? And what have you provided for me? And how have you showed me your grace? And how have you showed me your mercy? Because God, I confess that even while I'm waiting, you are still working. During my season where I was having the shingles and Ramsey Hunt and all that kind of stuff, I was really, really, I had some, some days that were really dark and down because I thought, I don't know if this is going to get better. I don't know if I can be a pastor anymore, if I can't communicate. I don't know, if, I don't know how, what's going to happen. I mean, there's really some difficult days. And during some of those days, the Lord was just reminding me like, hey, John, I'm not done with you. And even if this never got better, better I'm still doing things right now. I'm still providing. And he showed me some things. Like he showed me the gift of my wife. Now, I know I have a wife who's a gift to me. Like that's like, I get that. But during that season, it was like in such living color, the Lord brought it to me. He's like, don't miss the miracle of the moment. And I've given you this woman, like what a gift. I, I saw the miracle of my children. It's like, don't miss the miracle of the moment. Yeah, that hasn't happened yet, but like, what a gift. I, I saw the miracle of my church family. It's so encouraging. God's like, don't miss the miracle of the moment. I've given you this. What a gift. I saw the miracle, the, the miracle of some of my friends. Your pastor, Roby, is one of my good friends. I consider him a brother. And during that season, he was literally like texting me almost every day, almost to the point of being annoying intentionally and just saying things like, hey, let me send you the scripture. Hey, man, how's it going? He called me up. Hey, you got any movement in the face yet? Are you still as ugly as you've ever been? Like, no, he didn't say that, but... <laughs> And I just was reminded of the miracle, the blessing of like, man, I've got, I've got some friends who'd be like, hey, how you, I'm praying for you. Do you understand? Like the miracles of the moment, God wants us to lift up our heads and say, it's not just about that. <laughs> like, don't, don't trust me. It's not just about that. There's so much more that God is doing. What, is, what are the miracles in your moment right now that you can lift your voice and say, God, I know this hasn't happened, but I bless you for this. And I thank you for this. And I acknowledge you've given me this. And God, I thank you that you've shown me this. I don't want to miss those miracles in the moment. And Simeon's story, it ends with the fulfillment of the promise. And I want to read the final verses here, how the passage ends, and then we'll close. It says this in Luke 2, 27 and 32, moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. And when the parents, this is Joseph and Mary, brought in the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you've promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people, Israel. I love this verse because he was in this waiting season, right? And he was feeling the tension. And the story ends with God bringing the promise. Now, I don't know exactly what you're waiting on. 
And I don't know fully the Lord's will and the thing that you're waiting on. But I will say this. If it's something that God has promised, it's something that His Word has promised, then as we're waiting, we have this hope that He's going to bring it about in His timing. And I will say that sometimes His timing is in this life and we get to celebrate it in this life. And sometimes His timing is in the life to come. But as we trust the plan of the Father, we begin to let go of those things that we tried to control we begin to have open hands and open palms to say, God, whatever you have for me, whatever it looks like, I want to receive it, and I will trust you in the journey. Now, here's how I want to close this morning, if that's okay. There's some of you who are here in this room, and as I'm talking about waiting, some of you are like, man, I've been there, but that's not what I'm at right now, maybe it's future, but there are some of you who like, this hits right at your moment. Because you feel right now the tension of something you've been waiting for. And here's how I'd like to end. I'd like to end by just praying over you and asking the Lord to strengthen you and bless you and give you the ability to trust the loving plan of the Father for you. So if we could do this, can we just close our eyes in this room and bow our heads for a moment as we pray? And if you're here in this room and you're in one of those waiting seasons and you're in a season where you're like, man, John, John, like, could you pray for me? Because, man, I'm struggling with this right now, and I need some faith. Would you just now slip up your hand and say, John, pray for me? I'm in one of those seasons. I see your hands. I see your hands. Who else? Man, John, just pray for me. I need strength in this. Yeah, a bunch of us in this room. Father, right now, I lift up my brothers and sisters here in this room who are in seasons like I've been before, and many others have been. And maybe they're feeling right now, even as I'm talking about it, it's just coming to the surface, that tension. God, right now, we want to acknowledge that you are still at work while we're waiting. We want to acknowledge that you are our Father who loves us. And I pray for every single one of them. Would you right now, through your Holy Spirit, just meet them in this room with a greater measure of your peace? And would you, through the power of your Holy Spirit, meet them in this room with a greater measure of your strength? And would you, through the power of your Holy Spirit, right now, just meet them in this room with a greater measure of your goodness and, and faith so that they can trust you? And I pray that even after this morning, there'd be some who come back next week and say, you know what? For the first time in a long time, I was able to trust the Father's plan. Would you do that? Would you grow us? Would you allow us to become more like you? Mature us as disciples for your name and for your fame in South Florida. We ask this in the powerful name of Jesus Christ. And everyone together said, amen. amen. God bless you guys. Thank you. Thank you for listening. For more resources and to check out other teaching series, please visit our website at westpines.org. If you would like to speak to somebody about beginning a relationship with Jesus or ask any questions you have about this teaching, please call at 954-432-0321. Or you can email us at podcast at westpines.org.